Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Sinead Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher, and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Here we are back for another session. It's just so wonderful to be in these deep dive conversations with you. It's, it, it lights up my whole week, um, month, you know, the whole, the whole time I get to be considering these questions for myself, one to ask you. And then, um, because as we know, it's, it's the questions that work us. (laughs) And so important is the um, the conversation. So I I treasure this too, and we do these deep dives, and that's where the pearls are, right? Oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> really takes some work to get them out. <laughs> Let's start with Patanjali. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about how that's changed your your life and your teaching and but I want to know about the the man the myth and the legend and you speak about it and you write about it in your book some and I wonder you might even read from your book if you want to but you can also just um, talk to us who is Patanjali oh wow yeah that's a great question and because yoga is so much of an oral tradition you get bits and pieces. It's almost like asking about a family member and everybody has their own um, perspective. So that's also been a real treasure hunt. Um, And in fact, you know, there's, there's even, um, you know, translators or teachers who have taken on that moniker. So that's a curious thing as well, but, you know, Patanjali 
was really unique in that he re-systematized yoga. And this was really a revelation also because, you know, there's this sense of, you know, doing the real yoga and who's got the pure yoga. And most people have that sense and they they um, champion it. And, and that's fine. You know, the, the, maybe real isn't correct, but that there's an authentic functionality and a purpose to yoga is really what's more significant to me. Um, so yoga has been re-systematized since the beginning, because it's an art, it's a science, it's a living art and science. So it really, and that's part of its viability is that it's here to support us. So the story is that Patanjali's grandfather was Hiranyagarbha, which essentially means the golden womb of the universe. <laughs> and so Hiranyagarbha was the source of yoga. And if you can imagine that you were trying to um, truncate all of the wisdom that you've ever heard in your life, or even in, in yoga teachings, it's exhaustive. So Patanjali, as a grammarian, had this incredible gift of being able to um, whittle it down to the most salient points. And these are the sutra. And the sutra link, su means to link, and tra means to protect and also to transcend. So they link the teachings with the teacher and the student to source wisdom from the golden womb or also the golden heart of creation. So up to that point, um, you know, basically you had to be a man, you had to be a Brahmin, you had to have access to, um, you know, priests who were going to perform ceremonies and rites. And you really didn't have much volition in your life as far as your own growth, your own evolution. And so Patanjali was really a renegade in that way, in that he said, no, it's really on you. Now, don't throw away the teacher. Don't throw away the teachings. These are vehicles that help you to um, navigate. And in this way, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So even the word author, I think we spoke about that. Um, Patanjali, he's saying right here, right now, here are the teachings that have been distilled down to the Anu, to the essential aspects. And I'm going to show you a step-by-step -step process. I'm not going to tell you really where you're going, except for it's a much bigger field of awareness. I'm not going to tell you who you are. That's for you to discover. And even says, let go of ideas, you know, have these experiences. Um, and then Atha signifies that so much has come before me, that I am not the inventor. And isn't it interesting how... Um, you know, yoga has become, you know, people will ask me, well, what kind of yoga do you teach? <laughs> and I'm always kind of stumped, you know, yoga, yoga, hatha yoga, hatha yoga isn't really accurate because when we look in hatha yoga, it's missing yama and niyama, where Patanjali added that into, into the, um, the system, which is really our sense of morality. I mean, what does it all come down to? 
is about um, unity and reunifying. So Patanjali was really a renegade in that way. And he apparently came from this tradition, the Kapila, the Shramana tradition of the Kapila lineage. But he, you know, being an innovator, which yoga invites us to do, he um, broke those rules of you must do it this way and you must have a teacher and you must, um, you know, perform these or pay others to perform these rites. So he was really unique. And then there's stories, you know, this is just his human form. He was an avatara. So it's said that he's actually an incarnation of Adishesha, who was a naga and a serpent. And the unique thing about the serpent is the sense of, you know, when we look at the symbology of the serpent, the serpent represents that unbroken circle with the, the uraburo, where it's eating its own tail and the sense that life feeds on life and the, the cyclical aspect of it. I will eat and I will be eaten. I will untie. I will tie and I will be undone. And that, that continuous fold, unfolding and collapsing in on itself of consciousness as well as evolution. So he had a thousand heads, which is also really significant. And I, I go through the story in my book. It's, it's a wonderful story. When he incarnates on earth, he actually um, is forced to take on students. He doesn't want to take on students. He just wants to continue on in his own revelations. And <clears throat> the students start gathering because they see this deeply inspired mystic and eventually, you know, he has to agree to teach them. And so he does on the condition that there's a screen between him and the students. And at one point, one of the students who breaks the rules, there's always a rascal in every group and, and rascaldom is considered to be a divine attribute that, you know, how are we going to stretch consciousness unless we explore how we can, where there's movement in the rules and this student looks behind the curtain and sees that Patanjali has reassumed his form as the thousand-headed serpent. And so this really means the ability of the teacher to work with the student according to their desire, their capacity, and I don't mean just physically, but their psychological capacity, or even um, you know, the constraints in their life. They maybe would love to be doing yoga all day, but they got to go home and do the dishes and take care of the children or, or um, bring home the bacon. He definitely wouldn't have said that, but <clears throat> something like that. So, you know, our ability to see the individual. And the other thing that's really interesting about the snake is that it has the capacity to live in the world and also go into the underworld. And yoga is so much about unlearning that sense of conditioning and that um, your sense of self, your sense of, of 
satisfaction or contentment is based on external environment and that we actually are able to go inwards in that process and to unearth and see what is under our standing. What is our true understanding? And so down, 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 I think there's like nine lokas in the Naga realm. They're increasingly um, profound and it's utter darkness in the land of the Nagas, but it's lit up by these luminous jewels and insights. So what's so wonderful about, you know, Patanjali's yoga is that we really get to ask the questions what am I longing for? What's missing? What am I yearning for? What can I give myself? What can I develop in myself? And so in the world, we rely on our strengths. And in yoga, we rely on where we're unstable to bring those parts of ourselves into the full gestalt, you know, into the full completing that circle again. And so, so much of it is that unearthing process. So yeah, um, you know, Patanjali is a grammarian. He had this wonderful capacity to wordsmith, to pick um, terminology that had many, many layers as an Ayurvedic physician. He understood that we can use the body to leverage the consciousness, that it's easier to change the body than the mind. And then his, and so he wrote, or he um, transmitted, it was preliterate, teachings on this. And then his crowning jewel was the Yoga Sutra, which are the possibilities of consciousness. So he just basically puts out this, um, you know, wonderful array of possibilities and you get to see, you get to try. And then also, you know, so we don't get stuck anywhere. We don't get stuck anywhere and we don't miss the point. So honestly, until really integrating the sutras into my, as being the backbone, you know, it's like the, the DNA strands or the skeletal teachings, um, It wasn't really growing me from the inside out. I mean, I would have moments of satori's and certainly you get into this, you know, biochemical blissful state after practice, but it wasn't really penetrating my being. Yeah. So Patanjali was really unique that way. He, you know, yoga, the reins, he gives you the reins. And he also says in the sutra, not, spirituality is not associated with all stages of yoga. So it re really raises the bar for us and reminds us, you know, is able to articulate. So when we go into that, those, that deep place inside, it's a wordless place, which is a gift, but it can also be um, challenging to decipher what what is truly a luminous jewel and what is a trinket how old how old is potentially oh my god you know many um scholars say 
about 2,500 years old. Um, but really, you know, and when I talked to Rama about it, she said her Sanskrit teacher said this particular form, because if you look, like I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, don't, you know, and people, I, I have a working knowledge of, of Samskrita because I want to understand the teachings, not to understand Samskrita. I want to understand the teachings and to utilize them to expand my field and um, my capacity for love and for, for joy and offering into life. So the form that he, that he transmitted was not grammatically correct. And so her Samskrita teacher said that that, that style is at least 40,000 years old. And when I asked <clears throat> Padabi Joyce how old they were, remember you have to ask the question like three times to get any kind of a, a clear answer. He said, oh, very old, Bawani. And I said, well, how old, Guruji? Older than the earth, which really makes sense because how could we have a perspective of the earth-based experience unless somebody was standing outside of it? It's like the, the mouse looking at the elephant. We have to, you know, go to another dimension. And even the language of, of the, the written form of Samskrita is called Devanagari. So it's an angelic language. It's not an earthly language. So I believe they're much older. Um, I wouldn't say believe. I would say I know. I have a gut knowing that they're very old. Yeah. They're timeless. They're perennial. Right. Because truths outstand the test of time. Right. Or they stand the test of time. Yeah. And as it said, you know, like Patanjali saying, I didn't discover this. These are universal truths. They're eternal truths. And I believe it's in the Quran. I'm not a student of the Quran where it said that every, um, like scripture is written on every leaf. It's running through every brook. It's, you know, floating through the clouds. So in the yogic tradition, it said that all of this is encoded within our being. So we're really just learning to um, pay attention and be in touch with reality as it is. And if we're paying attention, as Rumi says, everything we need to know is being whispered to us at all times. And when we're not paying attention, that's what we call crisis. And that's where, you know, it hits us hard. There's so many things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just recently learned that Pythagoras, when he was teaching his students, and I don't know anything about Pythagoras, but he also sat behind a screen for the first three years that he was working with students. And he asked them, to follow what he taught for, to the letter of the law for the first three years mm. and they didn't get to see him. And I thought that was very interesting because I've heard you speak about Patanjali in the same way. That's fascinating. And um, I, 
you know, as you can see, I'm a bibliophile, so I really love books. And I remember I've shared these books with you, but the um, the Hindu world encyclopedias, and it's like just a, a it's a wonderful magical mystery tour. You can just open the book and start reading. And there was a whole section on the Greeks and how there was a great diaspora between the Greeks and the, um, you know, the, the, I guess the area, no, what were they? It, um, the Indus, the Indus Valley. So there was a grand exchange of information happening there. And yeah, you know, it really isn't about the teacher. The teacher just acts as, um, you know, a conduit, but that's almost not accurate either because the teacher and the student, they grow each other. Yeah. And I'm in going into all of these churches right now and the symbology in, in Paris and these old churches and there's um, temperance and she's holding a, a, a branch of some sort and the reins of a horse with um, a bit in the other hand. And I was like, you know, th there it is again, the, the symbology of, you know, the reins of, of yoga and, and that tempering quality that one cultivates on the path. <laughs> you know, it's interesting um, now that you say that, we don't just rein in the horse. Sometimes we crack the reins too. And really seeing where, um, you know, as, as it says in, in, the, in the sutras, our greatest challenge is tamas. And tamas being, tamas in itself isn't a bad thing. It's, it's solidity. It's kind of, you know, what gives form. But it's also the sense of inertia. And for many people, their inertia is they can't slow down. And for others, you know, to get into gear. So our ability to really um, learn to navigate ourselves and have that perspective of ourselves that we're, we're, we're it's like the spirit is raising the soul to its, um, its, embodiment yeah thank you for saying that the inertia is sometimes that we can't slow down that's <laughs> I've been there <laughs> so I want you to clarify for me again I know you spoke a little bit about this but just the distinction between um, Patanjali's Ashtanga yoga and the Ashtanga yoga taught by Sri K. Patabi Joyce because I often get questions about this as a yoga teacher and I just I'm not clear so perhaps you can clarify further well um you know Patabi Joyce he um you know where is the origin and there's a big question around that you know there's stories that um Krishnamacharya and he discovered this, this very kind of fragile text on, on leaves that 
they found these particular um, sequences described. And then when you asked about him, well, where is this? He would say, oh, bugs are eating. So that was a really a little bit curious. Who really knows with that, with the lore, what the lore is of that. Um, but essentially, you know, it was a particular sequence of asanas. And so it had a real form. But what's so beautiful in Patanjali's system is that he doesn't exactly tell you what to practice. He tells you, um, you know, it's, it's an elastic, it's a flexible kind of a system. It's customizable to work with a student, but he tells you, um, he tells you the, the project of practice and why you're doing practice. So when we have the why, we can figure out the how. And it said the yogi doesn't really wonder so much about like the, um, the hows. Uh, you know, it could go either way, honestly. But when we have the why, we have that understanding. So, you know, the sutra and the practice were never meant to be separated. And so I, I you know, that's probably why it was put under this umbrella of Ashtanga yoga. And it is a form of Ashtanga yoga, but Ashtanga yoga is not limited to this series of postures. So basically it was a, a re-systemization under the umbrella of Patanjali's yoga, which is also called Raja yoga. Yeah. And it's Thank also you. called, wait, there's other names for it too. Let me think for a second. It was also called Vidya yoga. And I like that. Yeah. And so Vidya means your ability to pierce through to another layer. It's this process of remembering. Yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of gets into like the, like people, you know, they, they take on these phrases like Ashtanga yoga became this cert, like this set series of postures rather than the full picture you know, that includes potentially in the yoga sutra. And that's, that's clear, more clear. Yeah. And I always felt like, um, it was almost like a, um, a clue or a hint that there yeah. was more to it than just the asana, you know, however, Patabi Joyce, he was very, um, um, stringent as far as like, you must do it in this order. And, you know, there, there, there was definitely um, wisdom in that. He said, the way that you learn yama and niyama is through asana. Because how do you really learn loving care unless it's something that you're experiencing within yourself? So I, I can see the validity in that. However, what happens is that people just want you to tell them the truth, and then they hold on to it. And so there becomes this almost like this, well, it's a cult, you know, and a cult isn't a terrible thing. It's a culture. But many people who really lack the solidity in themselves, they become zealots. And, you know, I've heard plenty of people call it the practice. And it's like, okay, it's your practice. Um, and there's there's, you know, projections 
onto that, which is their need to feel like they're held in the real yoga. And it, it almost creates this sense of, um, of hierarchy. But again, if we go to the sutras, you know, Patanjali, he doesn't lay, there's only three sutra on the asana. And they don't even really, they don't even say like, you must take the right leg first in Padmasana. There's none of that. I mean, that was in, in Mysore, there was that. And it was like, oh my God, we all got so crooked from just doing the one side first. Um, it doesn't speak about that at all. It speaks about the internal states of being and that the posture is really the attitude that we carry. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so how has Patanjali's Yoga Sutra changed your practice and your teaching? Because in the beginning, you didn't have this, these teachings, or I mean, I mean, they will always be in there, but talk to me about that. Um, I would say that it really became more a process of self-inquiry. And what the sutra are, are affirmations. And the way that they, they hit me, it was like, I know this is true. Like I've been longing to have this clarified because it was like, kind of like that underworld with the, these jewels. And it's like, okay, here's this jewel. And you know, this, this is how it is. And this is why it is. And so it really kind of gives you, um, points of stability and it's like a truth serum you know am I really on track or am I going further into this delusion where have I gotten stuck where because the nature the nature of our mind is obsessive so of course we're going to find a teacher we're going to find a practice and we're going to be obsessive about it which isn't a bad thing unless we um you know become a zealot <laughs> <laughs> or become inflexible. So the sutra really brought that to heart, you know, Atha Yoga, or even Samadhi Pada. Samadhi means on reclaiming your wholeness. And so much of what we're doing in, at least through the Western lens, is um, striving to become this idea of what we think realization is. And when we look in the sutras, it's saying, find your own wholeness. So it was very interesting being raised in really classical traditions and then kind of, you know, which had no name. I, there, was, there was no sense of, oh, this is this system or this is this lineage that came later. And, you know, something we were always told was um, that yoga is about the preservation of your vitality. And of course, never force. And you hear that a million times, you know, and then we, you know, I was like in Mysore and I was being cranked in these poses, which I mostly loved. And I could say, no, thank you when I wanted to, but then just going like, wait a minute, you know, is this, is this ahimsa? Is this loving? Is this kind? Am I missing that point? And so also going through different phases of life, realizing that 
adaptability and malleability in in the in the invocation for Patanjali, we call him Jangali Kayamane, which is like the jungle doctor and the jungle dweller. And your your ability to tune into yourself, to tune into your changing needs, and not what you want, but what you need. So it really brought it back in to pay attention. You know, it's like a mother. You're, you're looking at the whole being, you're looking at the heart, you're looking at the spirit, you're looking at the energy level. Love is that sense of attunement. And so it really becomes a practice of self-care instead of bolstering up a system. So the approach became very different for me internally as far as seeing what I needed in my life, as I mentioned, you know, trying to get pregnant, I had to, I couldn't do that, that Ashtanga, um, Patabi Joyce's Ashtanga system anymore because it just wasn't supporting um, implantation, basically, of, of the ovum. I had to really shift the way that I practiced. And so this is what I really loved about Patanjali's system was learning to see myself, my own individuality, learning to see others, and that the project of, of finding our wholeness, which is getting out of this state of fragmentation, moving into non-duality, which is like, what am I becoming and what is my being? That's an interesting polarity and it's not a bad polarity. It's a real state of energy. You need that to come into samapati byam, which is just dropping into homeostasis um, and, and the organism of your body, which is all the time dying and replenishing, you know, the sense of who we are before we can like heal that split within ourself, yoga, to come out of dualistic awareness is to come into a state of love. Love proceeds or love is what um, creates that fusion. So loving, being loving is being attuned, being sensitive, getting beyond the agenda and realizing the purpose. Yeah, and we can add there. No. <laughs> so, yeah, and and I find for myself, like, I really have to work it because when I did my first yoga teacher training in college, I was, you know, 23, and it was great. I learned a lot of really, really useful things, and we sort of skipped over, I mean, we touched on the Yoga Sutra, you know, it was it was like a, a head nod in that direction, but so briefly that I don't even remember it. You know, I found it in my notes and I was like, wow, I guess we did cover this. And then when I met you, it was, it was the primary focus. Yes, we were doing asana, but what really, really lit me on fire was Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. And I was like, wow, like, how, like, it was almost like, how could I have kept these separate <laughs> for so long? 
And I find that I have to actually work it though and, and learn them and then actually apply them to my life or else it just becomes um, philosophy. You know, it just is like something, you know, that I've, I had knowledge rather than these, these really important um, practical tools for living. And so I wonder if you have more to say about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because so many of us, we, we, the way that yoga is presented or shared is through the practices, which makes a lot of sense. It's like here, try it, taste it. Anu, you get a, you get a drop of that nectar and you're hankering for more. So you actually get to have a direct experience of it. Um, and then the sutra are missing. And then if we look in the, you know, in the East for a long time, the yoga sutra were really just kind of held into this private enclave of, of academics who didn't necessarily have a practice. So it's almost like they began to drift apart. But when we really look at the tradition, they were meant to be joined together. But the sutra, without the practice, yeah, it just becomes really trite kind of memes of wisdom. So the way that we authenticate these insights is through our practice. And so there's always been that transmission. And Patanjali even says, you know, it's like um, pramana, right knowledge. There's um, agama, which is testimony from a trustworthy authority, whether living or rather, whether it's um, scripture. And more specifically, it's inference based on this testimony. Then we have anumana and manas, um, manas are the 11 organs of cognition and motor organs, including the mind as one. So it's a process of trial and error in which we extract the Anu, we, we, we experience the teachings for ourselves, which leads us into Pratyaksha, direct experience. And when you have that direct experience, it's yours, it's penetrated you, it's living through you, and it's unshakable. So, you know, we need the two, they support each other. And it's so wonderful because when you have that, new worlds really open. Now, it's really interesting. I remember um, reading some of Mr. Iyengar's sharings of his own process, and he came to yoga <coughs> really infirm. His mother had been ill when he was in utero. He suffered, I don't know, hepatitis or something like that for many. He was very sickly. So when he was practicing yoga, he just, he said, my focus was just getting out of pain. He didn't even have the bandwidth to go into the deeper layers of psychology. So there is a progression in how we go to it. And, um, you know, but what a gift 
when we discover them because it also validates what we're doing and why we're doing. You know, we can kind of ride that honeymoon phase for a while with yoga practice in which, oh, it feels so good. And oh yeah. And then we go into life and we're like, oh wow, I haven't really integrated it. But then when we, you know, then when the sutra come in, it starts to make sense. You know, the practices show you the 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 how and then the sutras show you the why and again open new possibilities and really it's not just about self-realization self-actualization this is about how we can shift the culture the collective culture and so we start in our intimate relationships with ourselves, and then to our family then to our community and like that hundredth monkey, there's a transmission that happens through osmosis. We start to develop what's known as spiritual charisma. And spiritual charisma is just your ability to be in the presence of somebody. And, in, and they're inspired. They're inspired by your sense of ease, your sense of curiosity, your... Um, compassion, your creativity, your ability to connect the sense of intimacy that is there. I mean, they're really profound. They're profound teachings because as you said earlier, these truths can be found throughout time in many of the ancient texts. And that's continues to blow my mind that, you know, they're, they're, you know, just different ways of saying the same thing. And I had one more question. Do you know, um, particularly about the Yoga Sutra, do you know what language it was originally written in? I don't know what you mean. I, it was some, some script that they weren't written. Uh, okay. It was just, okay. That's a great question. Yeah. And what it what it says? Um, hang on a second. Svadhyaya ishta devata samprayoga. So svadhyaya, which is one of the niyamas, which is how we cultivate our inner space, is usually translated as being self-study. So it's like you were always meant to be learning these metaphysical teachings as you're doing the physical practices, right? The practice is basically the um, context to explore the content within. And it's in yoga is this process of clarifying, like, is this learned? Is this something that, you know, yoga, again, said you come in whole, you come in with everything you need, but you're basically a seed with like a husk and a hard outer shell. And how are you going to get to that kernel inside? How are you going to get to the nourishment? So we learn to penetrate these layers of our being. It's not that you're moving from the outside. And even though it's a long journey where we thought to travel outside, we're actually traveling inwards to discover the whole creation, the whole world that is ready to meet us in this place of of, um, increasing intimacy, capacity for intimacy. So 
Svadhyaya is where we're, um, you know, authenticating through the practices in tandem with the metaphysical teachings, and it's known as self-study. So we're studying the teachings, but we're really using the teachings to learn about ourselves. We're not learning about yoga. We're learning about self. Um, but if we look a little deeper, spa also means sweetness, and dya means to hold and to carry and to fill. So we're, we're finding that sweetness. We're finding that nectar within ourselves. And then he says, ishta devata. And deva means the light beings. And so within us, we all are a little bit of a demi-angel. And we're also a little bit of a... Um, a demi-demon, you know, we have kind of these inner voices within us. And the, what we just were looking at in yesterday's Yoga Sutra um, mentorship was seeing that the contradictions within us are not wrong. They're part of our dynamicism. So it's like, you know, that push me, pull me, that, that, that tension of polarity that gives a lot of energy that makes us dynamic. So um, devata is like where we are polishing and shining those ultra self-reflective transpersonal aspect of selves where eventually the intellect is transformed into pure, spontaneous, clear intuition. It's not subliminal, suppressed impulses that are that need to be expressed and need to basically be um, vomited out of the system but it's really moving from that place of spontaneity so then we have ishta which means that which you wish what is your deepest longing and it also means that you it also means what is and it also means you have choices you have choices. So ishta devata can mean that which you would like to shine and you reflect. So we kind of make it a, a loose sketch of an outline of how we want to be and how we want to experience, but then we're filled in by what is and the choices that we make. Oftentimes ishta devata is translated as um, a deity or a form of the divine that you have an affinity towards. And this is where it's flexible too. Yoga, yoga predates Hinduism. It's not religious. Where religion is a belief system, yoga is to move beyond the BS of belief systems and to have your own um, epistemology, your own cosmology. So Ishta Devata, maybe you're a Krishna devotee, or maybe you're a lover of Christ consciousness, or of Muhammad, or of Moses, or the Baha'i faith, or, you know, Jainism, it doesn't matter. Now, Ishta Devata, so these are all the layers, also means the, um, the virtues, so each of these, each of these embodiments of divinity have kind of a character and a quality. 
So what are the what are the what are the attributes that we want to shine forward? And we have that choice. And then there's some, which means I'm becoming whole again. The sum is greater than the parts to bring together. Pra means to bring forth. And then yoga means union. So it said through this process of studying ourself, of learning about our own self. And as the Sufis say, when you can see the entire universe in a grain of sand, like then you really, then you're really learning to see. So we see it's all seated within us. We're not separate from, from us. Then these shining qualities come into us and we're able to see these teachings everywhere. And so yoga is really a process of unburdening. I love what Rama would share often the story. Um, she was friends with Satchitananda. And at one point, his students asked him, are you a Hindu? And he said, I'm more of an undo. So yoga is undoing. It's unwinding the stories that we wrap around things the story of who we want to become versus the realization of the fullness that we've come in with, which he also says everyone's slightly unique and peculiar. Everyone's different in a wonderful way. So as we go into this unburdening process, that's what's known as lightening up or enlightenment. And intuitive insight is where you start to see patterns or themes that have been moving through your own story that you didn't recognize before. So it's essentially opening new neural pathways and getting the juices in our head and our body. Yoga is this churning process where we're stirring things up and we're kind of, you know, separating the ghee from the curd and getting this very juicy, golden, luminous, and it won't, and isn't it wonderful that like ghee never goes rancid, right? I mean, it's just pure amrita, right? So um, as we lighten up, we literally become less dense and less coarse. And then eventually it comes to the point where, um, you know, the, the dawning of realization that we're moving beyond this world of physical form into the psycho spiritual energetic realm, the quantum field. There's, there's like, we're really seeing, we're really fearing, feeling, we're really, um, having this direct experience and then it said that we can actually hear these teachings and they come in the form of shruti so this is what the rishis did the rishis were these light beings and the rishikas and they were able to um hear or see or feel or even smell you know it's it's not just limited to one sense it's it's a deeper kind of a gut knowing 
these these perennial insights and then they were able to translate them into human speak so this is really what we're and then they eventually and then they just evaporated into that quantum field and then it said that when they're needed they're able to reincarnate into human form so it's so lovely in the second suit in the third sutra Vasta is a contraction of Ava from Avatara, which means we basically, um, we realize our own incarnation, that we all come in with unique gifts and it's a dropping in stop. It's having a deep understanding of that, which we have to do the unearthing. You have to really work on that foundation. And Nam is that the love holds it all. Now, I totally forgot your question, but um, hopefully that <laughs> touched that the question. That answered it. And then when they were written down, they were written down in Sanskrit at some point. That's it. They were written down in Sanskrit. But essentially, you know, the way that they, the, the original transmission, which is continuous because it's outside of time being perennial, it's true for the past, the present and the future. was pure vibration. It's pure light. It's a language of light. And so um, you know, light as it becomes more and more tangible becomes form. And there in between, it said that between the manifest and the unmanifest world, sound, sound and vibration is kind of that bridge. So it came in like the sound of buzzing, of humming, even the sound of om, pranava, means a humming sound. But it's very challenging to just go. So we put the. But that buzzing is what reminds us of, you know, the, the, the energetic signature underneath everything. When we sit in nature, it's far from quiet. There's the wind. There's the insects singing. There's the birds. There's the leaves moving to the you know, all of these um, elementals. And then, you know, even in this world, like it's the buzz of the fan and of the refrigerator and the hum of the traffic. We start to realize that everything is being whispered to us. Everything is being revealed because yoga is ishta devata, is seeing what is. Not what we would imagine it to be, but really extracting that nectar from what already is. So that's really shifted the way that I teach. Um, you know, it's like yoga reveals what already is and you have choices, you have choices. And whatever, um, and you don't need to hold on to any of it because you've already come in in your fullness. So where so many religions kind of focus on original sin, yoga 
reminds us of our original innocence and our original purity. Thank you. And one more question to end that I didn't send you. So this is just from our conversation today, but if someone wanted to get an experience of that dropping in, what would you suggest to really, in, and maybe we'll, you know, one of the questions I had is, is to really get a sense of who, who I am, to really, to where does one start to get a sense of who they are? Um, whoa. I think you have to be curious about that. And, you know, life in the end is our best teacher and life is going to break our hearts over and over again. And so, you know, Rama would always say, this is why I do Sarvangasana. And it said Sarvangasana or um, Salamba. Well, not always Salamba. It could be Niralamba, but shoulder stand is the mother the queen of all asanas because of the way that we bow our head to our heart. And yoga's chitta vritti nirodaha is basically this trimming down of neural information, which physiologically occurs in these striated neurons in the brainstem known as the reticular formation. So we receive something like, um, I think it's like, 16 or is it 60,000 bits of information per second and when we're in sarvangasana we can trim it down to 16 bits so most of us are on overload and honestly there's it's not that yoga or the yoga is the only way but it's a way that is um it's still intact where so many of these indigenous teachings through um, colonization, they were lost. And this is kind of part of the gift of maintaining the, the, the bloodlines and where you marry into a certain bloodline because the teachings were transmitted orally. So certain families were responsible for having learned by heart. And I don't just mean memorizing, but penetrating into their own being these and carrying these teachings forward it was a it was an inherited legacy so you know I would say taking on a practice you know it's finding a teacher is really helpful and we spoke about this mm -hmm. someone who is shining, it said what we're looking for, what we wanna, when we're looking for a teacher, we wanna see something that they're embodying that we wanna awaken in ourselves. And it's not that they're perfect, you know, no one is perfect, but if, um, you know, if this teacher is inspiring to you, if they move you in a deep way, if they are seasoned, you know, if they have really, um, been soaking in the in the metaphysical teachings and the practice 
and really learning from that person and then taking it home. And, and I would suggest, you know, that you take on two or three asanas, that you just keep it simple, but keep it consistent and explore into that. And then, you know, working with somebody who has um, a depth of understanding and a practice in the metaphysical teachings I mean, this is where the Yoga Sutra online community is so profound because it's the conversations, um, you know, where my trainings changed. I used to have these really elaborate programs. And then I realized, oh my God, I have the, I have the manual here. It's the Yoga Sutras. And it's such a wonderful um, outline or skeletal frame to hold it's, it's the whole unfolding of the experience of yoga that we can track with that. So it's so concise and yet it's so broad in its scope. It's a wonderful way of doing that. You know, our big challenge and also our gift is our tendency for eclecticism. And we've heard this, you know, so many times, you know, in Buddhist teachings and et cetera, that people dig shallow wells. So, you know, find something that you want to go into some depth within. And, and what you're going to discover if it's a really um, functional methodology is that you're you're going to be going right into that wellspring and that and you're able to source from source. So that's a really big question. Um, and really, again, you know, any way is possible. And this is where I love where you can use the yoga sutras if you're a student of martial arts or a student of Buddhism, or you know, I mean, there will be slightly you know, there may be some arguments there, but they're, they're positive arguments that get you to ask deeper questions and find <clears throat> what really resonates for you instead of trying to convert yourself. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's really challenging because we, we are, we, those who come to practice or those who are searching are vikshipta, which means that they're kind of fickle. They're kind of fickle. So making that commitment to yourself and realizing that that commitment isn't to something outside of yourself, but it's a commitment to developing depth. It's like a marriage in some ways. So it, it's like, yeah, you use the teacher, you use the teachings, but it's about the commitment of, of, of depth of discovery. So we have to choose wisely. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll ask you again. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much for these, these conversations. It's really, really useful. My pleasure, Shanae. Okay. Till next Aloha. time. Aloha. Jaladharasunibhasundaragatram 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 Jaladharasunibhasundaragatram
Kalusha. 